Welcome to episode four of the Path to Power podcast. Chasing the wrong kind of highs and I wanted to go back to the things that gave me that high when I was a child. On this episode I talk with Barry. Barry is a mental health advocate and much of her work relates to her diagnosis of bipolar at the age of 30 years old. She's a blogger and speaker and uses her voice to raise awareness of the hope for healing and a healthy life despite her diagnosis. Barry and I talk about self-care strategies, learning to love, her journey of becoming more self-aware and the importance of her single season before she started dating again. Barry shares honestly about overcoming the shame she felt when she first got her diagnosis and how she has since navigated life. So Barry, you are um, primarily a mental health advocate and blogger, and you speak very honestly, truthfully, and vulnerably about your experiences of specifically bipolar, but navigating your kind of trauma and 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 your mental well-being um, and in a very real and relatable way. And that's something I love about you. I first connected with what you were saying because I have family members that very close to me that have experienced bipolar and I've walked that journey with them and and found it particularly difficult um but I'm just yeah I'm really excited about our conversation today for you to just share and and I guess like dismiss some of the myths that come with around mental health and specifically the diagnosis of mental health you know I love about you is you you identify with bipolar but it's not your identity as a person yeah and you're a woman of god as well Um, i am yeah and yeah and then we're going to get into talking about how this shows up in in our relationships and our dating life and and we had a conversation off air about some of the dramas and the pain (laughs) challenges that we experience but the hope as well you know and i think that's really important for people to hear So, yeah. So, I mean, it would be great for you to come in and just start a bit from the beginning, really, like what your journey has been like from, you know, childhood right to where you are now in terms of your mental health. I mean, for me, I think I always had like a deep inkling that that was something that wasn't, I say quite right, but then that's not necessarily the best language, but I always was a child who felt everything very deeply. So whether I was sad, I was very sad. If I was happy, I was very happy. I had a lot of problem being able to communicate or regulate my emotions. Mm. Um, And growing up being, you know, late 80s, early 90s, I just don't think that mental health was understood or was really even spoken about so I definitely was labeled as the drama queen the like naughty one the you know all all those kind of stereotypes that you will carry with you for for all of your life because that that label is something that you've heard you've been told you've probably told yourself after a while and I used to get so frustrated because I I I kind of felt that there was something wrong or different, but I didn't know that mental health even existed. And I remember, I think I was about 11 or 12 when I said to my sister, like, I'm, I'm going to go mad. Like, I know I'm going to go mad. I can, I can feel it. My sister, she's younger than me. She was like, Barry, like, why do you say these weird things? And I was like, I just know, I know that something's not right. I said, or I'm going to die. Like, cause something, something's not right. Um, and then my 
parents split up, which I now know looking back and doing work with like uh, my psychiatrist and my psychologist, that was kind of the key point where the bipolar started to manifest because that was the first element of like real trauma and not being able to communicate what I was thinking or what I was feeling and then taking on a role of probably supporting my mom much more than a young I mean I was 11 so it was a you know a lot to take home for an 11 year old girl to emotionally support an adult um kind of thing and I basically just went through my my teens and my 20s not really understanding myself um and got to a point in my um early 30s where I was like I think I just need to go and see a doctor and I need to understand what this is understand why there's this constant agitation there's this like I used to call it like a merry-go-round like up down up down all the time and I just couldn't understand why everybody else could hold down relationships could um hold down jobs could do all of these different things and I just struggled with it so much and I just couldn't understand it um and I thought it was because I was lazy I was a drama queen and I I didn't, and I guess even going to the doctor, I thought they were going to be like, oh, you know, you're a bit depressed. Here's some antidepressants. I didn't think it was going to be something like bipolar and it was going to be that actually, no, you're not lazy. You're not a drama queen. You just live with a chemical imbalance in your brain and you've been fighting that for, at this point, 20 years. Mm. Um, So I was eventually diagnosed with bipolar at um, 30 um and that kind of is where to use like your phrasing like my path to power began because I had to almost like look at that as the line in the sand and be like right okay Barry what do you take forward from this you couldn't make necessarily decisions before because you didn't understand what you were fighting with you didn't understand that that behavior pattern or that decision was made when you were in a, a high state or a low state, you've got to draw a line under the shame. You've got to draw a line under what's happened and you've got to learn how to deal with this moving forward. And um, so that's basically kind of where my journey began and where I was like, yeah, that, like let's work out who Barry is and, and take on my own identity. And then again, work on my identity with God. Um, and it was, it's been a very like powerful life-changing journey to be honest wow that's so awesome and and you spoke about the importance of understanding that um that you know the diagnosis of bipolar and and you know there's a beautiful saying information leads to transformation what what actually then is bipolar like you mentioned the chemical imbalance in your brain if you were to talk about it from a neuroscience perspective what is it so basically the the most simple way to explain it is my brain will produce too much of um certain chemicals so if i'm depressed it will I always get them like the wrong way around, like which one's serotonin, which yeah, one's yeah. rich. But if I'm depressed, it will the happy the happy yeah. and so and yeah, cortisol is the stressful, stressful. That's the one. So if I'm depressed, my brain will just have be producing too much of that um chemical. 
And if I'm like hypermanic or manic, so the higher the higher end of the scale, it's producing too much of the other one and it's not able to regulate. So scientifically, that's what is happening. Um, and it, even, even in understanding that, it took me so long to be able to accept that. Um, how that like translates in real life is, I think depression, everyone can kind of understand to a certain degree how that that manifests because even if you've not lived with it you probably know someone who has so um obviously the the low lows very low lows but with the the hypermania or mania it's a lot of um over confidence um a lot of addictive and like not very healthy self-destructive behaviors um it, that which shows up primarily with sex, with drugs, with gambling. And I think that's probably where a lot of the shame lies because mm. all of those things that people will get addicted to in those states are things that can be, can have, um, you know, social shame around it. So one of the things that I struggled with when I got my diagnosis was when somebody googled bipolar all the list of symptoms was literally like reading my like shame file like I was like well in knowing that I've got this people will think well has Barry had a gambling addiction or has Barry got a problem with money has Barry had a problem with sex does Barry take drugs does Barry do this so it's almost like giving away like the innermost secrets of my life to people and and that was like a very very scary thing because I for so long had this mask like I lived a certain way when I was at home because I couldn't understand myself so I was either very depressed and in my house for days and you know not, not taking care of myself self-care cleaning all that kind of thing or I was out and I was the life and soul of the party but you wouldn't know what was going on behind here you would see this overtly confident like party girl like giving everyone else advice seemingly definitely had everything together was you know very confident but actually what was going on behind the scenes was this inner turmoil constantly um so in then having this I've got this diagnosis and people can know this about me it was like almost feeling like you were walking around naked all of the time because I felt like everyone could see like in inside me and, and know really what I'd been hiding from everyone for so long wow. so yeah that was a huge hurdle that I had to get over and how did you do that I mean how did you navigate that I mean because often I, I say that a lot of this shows up I believe in our relationships right whether that's with close family with friends and more specifically our romantic relationships because often that's the most intimate relationship that we ever have right yeah and certainly as adults that becomes that really significant intimate relationship and so it triggers for us so much stuff in our brains right and so what would you say then I mean, how does this diagnosis impact and, and certainly your understanding of it and yourself? How did you see that play out in your relationships, whatever relationships that might I be? I think one of the first things that 
I realized when I looked back, like retrospectively, after I had my diagnosis, was how much I'd used my romantic relationships almost, well, no, almost about it. There was a definite, it was, it was an element of self-harm. Wow. So, and I kind of alluded to that with my therapist, but I thought I was just being dramatic. But they were like, no, it's that is actually genuinely a form of self-harm, Barry, because you go into these situations the same way that somebody might physically self-harm with um, like, you know, a blade or like that like might burn themselves or whatever. I would go into these relationships or, um, you know, sexual encounters knowing that I wasn't going to be fulfilled from that. And I was going to give myself like physical pain um, or emotional pain <clears throat> through that, through that situation, because it almost gave me because with with like bipolar depression you might not actually have anything wrong in your life but because it is like that it's giving the, the extra cortisol yeah then it was like I was trying to give myself a reason to genuinely feel sad um so I, I found myself in very dysfunctional relationships uh found myself always you know, with emotionally unavailable men. And I do think that also came from childhood experiences. My dad obviously leaving, my dad having affairs um, and other men in my family kind of reinforcing that belief. Right. I So it was kind of situational, but then also the bipolar. So it was trying to work out what was the illness and what was, you know, tra trauma related. Right. Um, but I think the main you know, the main thing for me post-diagnosis and post an understanding of myself is I will deliberately not date if I'm feeling in a certain mind space um, or if I am dating, I'll be very um, honest with the person that I am dating that this is where my head's at. And um, I think having the diagnosis and having that understanding of myself gives me that power to be able to be like, look, babe, this is where I'm at. If you can't deal with that right now, then maybe we have a bit of a break or maybe you just you just leave. And it's having that self-assurance that I know this, you know, this illness isn't going to go anywhere. I can learn to manage it. So first and foremost, I have to be OK with that. Mm. And then secondary with my like, you know, romantic relationships, they they have to be OK with it. But I first of all know that I'm OK with it. So if you're not then we're just not the right fit. So I think that was, that's been the best change. And that even the men I attract or the men that I date, I've dated some amazing men since I've um, had my diagnosis and it hasn't been the right time for whatever reason, but knowing that I'm picking them for the right reasons and we're having those experiences and learning from each other is great and it's very powerful without, and then, yeah, none of that nonsense that I used to have in my twenties, um, because I'm not I'm not choosing them for a reason that comes from self hatred and misunderstanding myself and all and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And you mentioned earlier, like being able to regulate, and I feel like for me as somebody that's overcoming that childhood trauma, that ability to self soothe is one of the most challenging 
that I find because I, I so, you know, I have so much expectation of those around me to meet the needs and specifically my significant other, yeah. my emotional needs and actually learning to self-soothe is for me has been one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. What would you say are kind of, how do you regulate yourself and what have you learned to do in order to manage this illness, both for yourself, but then when you're in that relational dynamic as well? I think the main thing, and it's, you know, I think everybody's heard it, it's not rocket science, is learning how to be on on my own completely and learning that at times you've got to give yourself that time and you're not a failure or you're not a bad person if you say no to people, if you give yourself that space um, and then basically just treating myself as I would treat a friend. And I think I didn't realise that for the majority of my life, I'd put everybody else first. I was an inherent people pleaser and I definitely always would never, I would like go out and buy my friends something nice or I would, you know, treat them or I'd say nice things to them. I'd compliment them, but I never did that for myself. Like I remember somebody saying to me on one day, like, Barry, you speak about, other people so like beautifully and you you know you're always building people up and that's just who you are but then when you speak about yourself you would berate yourself you would you know I was I was horrible about myself I would speak about myself the way I wouldn't probably would speak about my worst enemy in a better way and so I just had to learn to date myself first Mm -hmm. and to take myself you know to the cinema and to go for walks and to like love myself and and give myself the relationship that I would then want to give my husband or give my, like my children or whatever. Um, And I think that was a huge thing. So that's, and I just think that's great advice for anybody, whether they live with a mental illness or not. Like if you can't love on yourself, you know, to quote the lovely Penny Bell, um, then how can you um, love on anybody else? Because you're you're gonna then put limitations on that on that person because you're expecting not only them to provide the things that you know a boyfriend or partner will but to give you the things that you can't give yourself mm-hmm. and that's just not healthy because one person can't physically do that for you all of the time mm-hmm. there's going to be times in any relationship where you're going to have to give you know 70 because they can only give 30 and vice versa and if you can't give yourself a hundred then how are you then supposed to give them that extra 20 if if that makes sense yeah it's that filling ourselves up so that we can come to others in that place of overflow right yeah it's so hard to do though because especially with a significant other I know I I often get really challenged that you know that they immediately and 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 actually it's been shown that our brain then starts to perceive that that person as our primary caregiver yeah. and therefore put the expectation on them that they're going to meet this these needs that we have or fill us up. Yeah. Like you said, actually, we have to be responsible for doing that 
for ourselves, you know, and, yeah. and that it's, that's really spoken to me even today in, you know, situations that I'm experiencing, just that reminder of how important that is. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it is so key. And I think obviously we touched about it before we came on air. It's, it's having that single season and that's, that is what I did. I'd always had somebody in my, like, in my twenties, especially not necessarily even always great relationships, but there were always people that I would lean on or people I would go for some form of validation. Um, but when I got my diagnosis, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to date. I'm going to come off the dating sites. I'm not going to keep seeing these people that I'm in a situation with or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to learn to love, you know, myself and my life. And I think for, like a single season is so, so important because mm-hmm. it just makes you realize what you want, what you don't want, what you can be like, yeah, bye don't need that in my life because you're, you're filling your life with all the things that you actually want. And what the way I tried to do it was think about the things I loved to do when I was a child and then brought them back into my life again. Wow. So I like joined a choir. I like started like to run. I started to kind of almost like play and enjoy life again because as an adult and as an adult, especially with, you know, a mental illness, a lot of the things I filled my life with were very self, um, well, they just, they, they just weren't healthy. So a lot of alcohol, a lot of partying, a lot of, you know, chasing the wrong kind of highs. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wanted to go back to the things that gave me that high when I was a child. So you know, running around a field or like like playing frisbee or like I say, joining the choir and and just doing all these different things to appease that inner child in me and to to remind myself of when you know I loved life and things weren't as complicated. Um so everything that happened prior to my parents' divorce and prior to the fallout that happened after that, I reintroduced all of those things into my life and the power in that was amazing. And I was, I kind of, I always say to people, why do we stop doing these things as we get older? Mm. Like, because we're too busy chasing the boyfriend, chasing the high, chasing the next job, chasing this, chasing that. When actually we, we just don't stop to enjoy the day and enjoy the laughter and enjoy all all of those things because especially if you I think if you go through trauma early on that's taken away from you and it's so hard to get it back because as you get older you know it might be less socially acceptable to to do those things and to to be a big kid and to 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 play or whatever our brains go into survival don't they and so our needs are actually suppressed and then we get so used to not having them met that subconsciously we believe we don't have those needs you know it's why it's so important for like you said to actually really identify what what needs do I have you know one of the best exercises I've ever done is going through this massive list of like my primary and secondary needs yeah they say there's like these six primary needs that we all have around yeah 
significance and growth and and so on but then there's like a massive list of secondary needs that are going to be higher for some of us and lower for others yeah and then there's ways in which we can meet those needs right and I just love what you said as well about like reconnecting with some of those hobbies like I remember for me as well a big part of my healing was um, I did a, a sewing course because I'd always loved sewing and I wanted to learn some specific skills. And then also I joined um, Greenwich Astronomy Society because I love yeah. stars and planets. And I would go and sit in these lectures and I'd always joke and say, you know, it was primarily full of like white, bold headed men <laughs> who were like <laughs> in their 60s plus, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I would drop asleep in the lectures. But it was like this beautiful date that I would have with myself, you know, once yeah. over the course of this year or whatever. So, but doing those those activities and reconnecting in with that child, and even like now, like I, I, you know, I'm really grateful for this conversation, Barry. Actually, because as as I said to you off air, you know, I've started um, in a relationship with someone, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, very quickly, what I know about myself is that all of me shows up in that relationship but then yeah. where but then where do I go you know where where is Dot Domini and yeah I think yeah I have really done that again and it's such a pattern of mine to just give all of me over <laughs> yeah almost in the, with the expectation then that that other person's going to do the same thing and yeah. actually the person that I'm in a relationship with is very healthy and and walking towards wholeness as I like to believe I am but I still have some of these old behaviors and but what that means is that they do what they need to do to get filled up you know and I'm just reminded today even in this conversation that actually I need to do that that same thing you know I need yeah. to make sure that I'm doing the things that keep me filled up that I did in my single season yeah but it's so easy and I think especially even more so as women for us to do that because I know I'm exactly the same as you if I go into a relationship it can be very like zero to a hundred real quick and I as much as I'm very now self-assured and love myself and, you know, have had this single season and and feel that that's been great. I know that it's also still very easy for me to to fall into what I think that person wants me to be, Mm. because in that I'm like, well, if I'm who they want me to be rather than maybe hundred percent fully myself, then they're not going to leave or they're not going to do whatever. And that's how my past and my trauma still shows up in, in any kind of relationship that I'm, that I'm in. I'm just expecting man is going to cheat. He's going to leave. He's going to, you know, maybe put me down, potentially be violent because that's, you know, the, the self fulfilling behaviors that have, have happened. And every time I've thought someone was different, I like, it's always been for me, like, up until I got my diagnosis, kind of same script, different cast. I'd go for a new guy, but then and think, oh, this guy's this remit, so he's going to be different. But actually, he still had the same issues. He still had the same insecurities. Well, you know. it comes back to us, doesn't it? We're the common denominator. Like, yeah, you know, before you went on that journey of healing, and I was very similarly like you know I can relate I had to look at this and go okay all of these guys are this but actually who am I in these situations like what am I bringing and exactly what am I I attracting because yeah because you have to and you know it's one of these cliche quotes that I've seen on Instagram but it always resonates with me is you stop attracting a certain part of 
type of person when you heal a part of your heart that need that needed them Mm. and when I saw that it was like yeah because I just I just realized that and I was like that's why I keep having these men in these situations because there is that that part of me that is obviously attracting that and then and needs that to be filled and I need to go back to what I said before I need to fill that myself so I'm not looking for that from somebody else. And let's talk about that because you touched on earlier, like that renewing your identity, you know? What has that looked like for you? Like, obviously you mentioned engaging with activities and kind of meeting your inner child self. What else have you done or, or what tools do you have to, you know, so that you've been able to renew that identity or, or certainly build a more... Uh, stable steadfast version I think I the first thing obviously as I said was to to do these activities to try new activities to basically see what resonated with you know 30 year old Vary um and see how that worked and then the other thing was just naturally in doing that and being more um focused on natural highs rather than you know, high chasing, I, I lost a lot of people from my life, which necessarily wasn't a bad thing. Mm. Um, and I think that when you are surrounded by the right people in your life and the people that love you and want to build you up, they they helped me realise my identity because they, you know, reminded me of the things that they loved about me. And then in turn, I could, it's almost like, you know, holding the mirror up to me because these people were great and and life affirming friends. When I saw what what they loved in me and the fact that they stayed through this, you know, when I had like my breakdown and stuff after I had my diagnosis, the people that were still there at the other side, they were there to you know give me those building blocks and to be like, but you know, Barry, you are this person, you are this person, and look at all the things that you've achieved, even when you had an undiagnosed mental illness, and you know taking that on and using that as an empowering thing I think that was a a huge thing for me and just taking that time to journal to read to to understand myself look at like I did so much research on bipolar for example because I needed to understand what was me and what had been the illness Mm. um did a lot of like work around prayer a lot of time with God and and reading my Bible and just looking at who I genuinely like the patterns in my life like when was I the happiest what kind of things were the things that set my soul on fire what were the things that when I was around those people or doing those activities or helping those people or doing whatever like realizing actually what was me and what had been the version of me that I'd created because I thought that's what people wanted um because like looking back there was a long a long time where I just wasn't me Mm -hmm. I was I thought everybody wanted me to be this you know life and soul bubbly loud character and actually yeah I am that sometimes but I'm actually also naturally quite quiet and just like to be you know around myself and read and 
you know, I don't need to be this gregarious character, but yeah, so basically I think I just stripped everything back and then re rebuilt it. Um, I, it's been such a long process that I guess it's hard to, like yeah. it's been over five years, it's hard to, to say, but like, I guess for anybody listening, it's just research yourself, research, you know, your habits. I just looked at everything. Why do I do this? What, like, is this serving me? No, it's not serving me. Let's get rid of it. What can I replace that with? Does that need to be replaced? And was very intentional about what I was journaling about, what I was thinking about, what I was reading, what I was watching. Um, and then they, those things became habitual and they were right. good habits rather than bad habits. That's a great way of explaining it. And I, I, I really, again, resonate with that. And that's definitely been a huge part of my journey is looking at those little behaviours where the compound effect is what creates success. Yeah, it's not that this there's this radical overnight change, although often for many of us, there's a there's a point of pain or there's some kind of context which leads us to that change. Yeah. That actual creating change is a process, isn't it? Of, of yeah. habits consistently. And it's the being consistent. I always say like that is the biggest difference. You know, we yeah. go out and run for a week and it's not necessarily going to do much for us in the long run. Or we can run every day, or sorry, three times a week for six months. And then it would, yeah, make a huge difference. Right. I think one of the best activities that I did was write down all of the beliefs I had about myself. Wow. And then tried to work out where they came from. Mm -hmm. And then actually look at where the facts were of those, like Mm. lazy. Then I was like, well, no, you're not lazy because you've done this, you've done that. and then whenever those thoughts creep up now, I'm like, can go back to that page in my journal from four years ago and read the, no, you're not lazy. And knowing that, you know, these beliefs that you have about yourself because you've been told them or you've told them to yourself, having them and then working out affirmations and stuff around those. So when they're starting to creep back in again, you can you know, bring them back to yourself. And that was another thing that was was huge for me is realising what I had to unlearn, what, what I'd been told over and over and over again about myself to the point where you don't have any doubts in your mind that that's true because you've been told it so many times and it's, you know, you've been manipulated probably not even consciously a lot of the time because that's probably come from somebody else and their own insecurities and their own projections they've not they they haven't realized that they've changed the trajectory of your life because the power you know the powers that are in people's words so it's realizing that that was just things that somebody said for the wrong reasons and then you know building your own facts and belief statements around those lies and that was another way that was huge for me to to realize my identity and finally for you know anyone listening with faith is look at what the bible says about who I am and you know deeply and wonderfully made Barry yeah I've got it tattooed on my ribs I had to have it done I love that um and and that was a verse that in my darkest darkest time 
I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would hear it and I would, you know, and that, that's one of the reasons it was tattooed because I, because I really felt like, you know, if God loves me, why did he give me this illness? Mm-hmm. And why, you know, I, I strongly believe that, you know, God has a plan for me, but why was this his plan? Like, why was, like, I don't understand. And it kept just coming up to me, you know, fearfully, wonderfully made, fearfully, wonderfully made. So yes, okay, I was made with this illness and with all the, the things that come with it, but that was part of the plan. And that was something that God is going to use. And I've had a hell of a lot of pain and trauma based around the bipolar because I've put myself into some horrible situations when I have been too high or too low. But there's, I don't think there's ever been a, a, a place of trauma or an experience I've had that I haven't been able to then use that to help somebody else. And right. Wow. And that's the way that I have to look at it. No shame, no regret, because actually God put me in that situation because he knew that five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line, there was going to be another woman, a little girl, a man, whatever, that needed to hear that I overcame and I triumphed through that situation and see that. You know, people always say to me, you're so strong, you're so this, you're so that. I don't necessarily always see it. But if that's what I'm projecting and that's, you know, the, the identity that God has given me and, and allows other people to see through me, then that's so powerful to be able to, to use that story and for them to be like, okay, so Barry went through that, you know, coercive relationship. Barry went through that manipulation. She went through that. But now look at her. And if she can do it, I can do it. And... Yeah, I think it's it's just looking at all of those elements of your life and rather than letting them be the noose around your neck or the, the chain around your ankle, use them to be like, okay, so I went through that and it was hell, but look at me now. I did get through it and it is hard and sometimes it, you know, it's replayed in my head and my head, but let's stop replaying it in my head and let's replay the narrative of what happened afterwards and how I went through the flames and how I've I've come out with a different fire because although I went through the flames I retained some of that fire to want to help others or wanted to help myself even it doesn't always have to be a journey of transformation that leads you you know into coaching or helping others but it can be a journey of transformation that leads you to continuing to help yourself and and taking on and having that power to be able to do that right wow Barry you're such a beacon of hope and um I love that that. (laughs) like you really truly are you know and and you're right like and scripture says doesn't it like I'm gonna plant you as a lamp on a hill and Mm -hmm. um in I think it's a verse in Matthew but I just I love that that is what he's doing with your life and a hundred percent I agree that you know, every pain that we experience can be turned for good and used as part of our purpose and to support that purpose of others as well. And, you know, you spoke about something that I think is one of the most important things that any of us could do in this healing journey is to really look at what do I believe about myself and where did that come from? And actually, what is the truth about me? And the truth in scripture and the truth, as we believe, whether we have a faith or not, 
the truth it it always has to be the best the best version of ourselves right the highest yeah. version of ourselves love because essentially that's what we're all made to do you know i believe that's yeah. all on this earth is to learn to love and to be loved and yeah if yeah. that's our fundamental purpose then when we come back to that, if a belief that we have about ourselves is not one of love, then it's not true. And yeah. then we script and, and reprogram. And, and I love the hope that neuroscience shows us and, and the neuroplasticity of the brain that actually we can rewire and we can refire because so much of this stuff is subconscious, isn't it? And so actively, consciously yeah. having the affirmation plus the emotion and the feeling yeah. of that, you know, whatever that is, I am loved. I'm feeling that, like sitting in that feeling and, and, and rewiring this stuff is one of the most important things we can ever do for us. Yeah. It's, and when you start to do that, it's, you know, like a, the whole magnet, like you get the wrong way of the magnet, like it repels or it sticks together. When you, when you embody that love and when you like embrace all the, the correct things about your life and the things that are true and the things that are hopeful, you start to attract more of that into your life. And, you know, it could be law of attraction. It could be God. It could be whatever, like whatever it is that you believe in, the what you give off and what like your, yeah, you radiate, I guess, mm. is what you're going to continue to, to attract. And that, I think that was the huge thing for me. As soon as I stopped focusing on the things that aren't true and the things that, were not serving me more of the things that were amazing like came into my life and the the people that I've connected with and the the relationships that I've formed are so it's like you know even we were saying about ourselves you meet people that are aligned with where you should be because and like with you or Penny or even Nat when you when I talk to you I feel like I've known you my whole life yeah. like because it's so level isn't it yeah because it is a genuine attraction because you're giving off the, the right things you're not just being friends with someone because you're lonely or because you're trying to to, to fill a hole that you can you can only fill yourself mm. wow Barry thank you so much before um just as we come to a close what would you say has been um one of the most inspirational conversations or bits of information that you've ever read or that you've kind of that's really been um a core part of your healing journey like is there anything in particular like a book a conversation with someone or a podcast or um oh gosh there's been so many but the one that sprung to mind so I think it's the one I'm supposed to say is um a book by Glennon Doyle um called Untamed uh, and it it's basically just about um, being unapologetically you, wow. being the, the real wild version of yourself. Um, and it's an amazing book to read because it's a collection of short stories from this woman's life about times where she had to challenge her beliefs and challenge, like, challenge her beliefs about herself and maybe go against what she thought she like she should do and do what like she like she needed to do kind of thing and it was just when I finished that book I cried because it literally was everything I needed to to read she's um, a woman of faith as well and she's just honestly it, it 
was a life-changing book. I would definitely recommend it to anybody. It's wow. very, um, very powerful. And when's your life-changing book coming out, Very. Do you know what? You're you're the first, like, not the first person to say that. I need to start, I need to start bloody writing it. But <laughs> in 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 the future, there will be there will definitely be a book. Definitely. Yeah. I'm putting it out there now. Brilliant. And um, and you don't have a podcast as like of your own, right? But you've you've been on a lot of different podcasts and I have, yeah. If um if people want to hear more about your story and, and read some of the stuff that you've written, where's the best place that we can go to find you? Um, probably Instagram. My Instagram is um, the face underscore in underscore the underscore crowd. Um, but I'm sure you'll um, you know link it yeah, in the, the bio description. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, I am actually going to be launching the podcast soon. It's all it's all ready to go. But oh, I'm waiting until I'm in um, a better mental space to be able to to do it. That's going to be called Faces in the Crowd, and I'm going to be into interviewing different people about them overcoming their adversity and living their, you know, best life in their true self. So it will be coming soon. I've got some amazing guests, like an Olympic um, bronze medalist, going to be on, and I've got like some other random people. I won't have too many um, spoilers, but yes, I'm excited to, to get started. Oh, I'm excited to listen to it, Barry. Well, thank you so much for your voice in this space. And thank you. For oh, it's been lovely. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited that we've connected. We're going to go out on my inflatable boat at some point, aren't we? Yes, <laughs> definitely. I can't wait. When you said that, I was so excited. I was like, right, I'm coming now. <laughs> I'm just manifesting my, my visions and dreams for a boat life. You know, it starts with an inflatable and... Who knows, might end up with a yacht. We'll see. There's no might about it, you will. God's plan, amen. Be there, like, relaxing. Amen. Thanks for listening to episode four of the Path to Power podcast. You can find out more about Barry by following her on Instagram at the face underscore in underscore the underscore crowd. That is in the episode details. Don't forget to check out season one and the rest of the episodes in season two. And go over to Instagram and follow me at lovedomini or you can check out the rest of my work, www.dominirow.com. <laughs>